long. Can you hear me? Everything good? Okay. Um, we'll be in John 15, or you can follow along on U version. And while you're turning there, uh, you know, there is a lot of things that I love about God. Of course, number one being that he would send his son for us. That's a no-brainer. That's amazing that the God of the universe would do that. But there's just a lot of other things I love about God. And one of the things that I really love about God is that he gives each of us talents and skills and uh, passions and hobbies. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of things I'm passionate about. I have some things that uh, would maybe be considered skills, but there are things that I know that I'm not so great at or things that uh, man, I'm just probably best to leave it to the professionals. And one of those things is gardening, is gardening. I do not have a green thumb, and I know some people here do have a green thumb. Uh, our flowers out in front, I know uh, the rainwaters, I know JP, they do a good job of taking care of the flowers, and they love that stuff. And maybe you're here this morning, and you love uh, plant, or, uh, growing plants, you like growing gardens, all that stuff. And that's great if you do. That's just not my skill. Matter of fact, most of the time, anything I've ever tried to plant, I've managed to kill. And uh, so what I wanted to do this one, I want to show you a couple of things I'm proud of that I've managed not to kill. Um, this tree right here that sits in my office. Uh, look, how, look how full and, and luscious that tree looks. It, it's really good, right? Uh, pay no attention to the fact that it's plastic. It's, it's a beautiful tree. Uh, you've probably seen this if you've come into my office. This is my uh, little plant that sits on the office desk. Now, uh, I've managed to keep it alive, and again, I need you to suspend disbelief. This isn't real, but still, I've managed not to, I've managed not to kill it. I am just not good at maintaining uh, a garden or plants or anything like that, and um, basically, I can mow. That's it. Uh, you know, you can ask my parents. They've come and helped uh, cut branches and all that stuff. But I, I will say there is one thing in our yard that I have found myself caring about more than I ever imagined I actually would. Right by our, front, or right by our gate, uh, the first exit, en or exit entrance into our yard, um, there is a rose bush. And I didn't know what it was until uh, it bloomed. I was like, oh, hey, that's a rose. Nice. That's great. And I have found myself uh, caring that this bush would grow roses. This plant would grow roses. And so uh, my parents helped cut out some of the stuff that was in there. And I've been maintaining it, trying to... And there's one that's starting to bloom. There's another one that's barely starting to bloom. And so I've been out there with the shears, cutting away the stuff that... Uh, would keep it from growing. And I was like, hey, this is, it's actually nice to, to try to keep this thing alive. I'm, I'm trying hard. Because I want the end result. I want to see this tree bloom. I want to see these roses bloom. And so, you know, I got to put in the effort, I got to take care of it to make sure that it produces these roses. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series called Fail Forward. And in week one, we talked about this idea that we are dead to sin, 
because of what God has done for us, because of him sending his son, and when and we give our lives to him, we become dead to sin. We die to sin. We are raised with him. The old life is gone. The old life is dead. We are a new person raised with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. But we do know that the sinful nature is still a thing, and so we have to try hard to do everything we can to use our our ability to use our body to bring him glory, bring him praise. We have to choose to do the right thing and avoid the wrong things, avoid those temptations. In week two, we talked about uh, life is a process, right? Like a plant, it doesn't just, you plant the seed and it, the next day it's a full realized plant. No, it, it's a process. Our life is a process, and and there's going to be those moments where we stumble, where we fall, but each and every day we strive to be holy. Each and every day we strive to know our Lord and Savior more by reading His Word, by spending time in prayer, by growing closer to Him each and every day. And guess what? It's going to take a while. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to stumble and we're going to fall, but we pick ourselves up and we keep living for Him. Last week we talked about the importance of confession when it comes to failing forward, laying these things at the feet of our Savior. And we talked about there are those who would like to say that they believe and yet they choose to live in darkness. And we know that that is not how we are called to live. We are called to leave that behind. We are called to leave the darkness behind and walk in his light. We are called to live in his light. And so we have to come before him. We have to confess. We have to lay these things at his feet. And it's an everyday process. It's not a, okay, I asked for forgiveness one time a long time ago, so I'm good forever. No, each and every day we lay these things at his feet. We lay these sins. We lay these shortcomings. We lay these falls at his feet. And we know that he forgives. As if we lay these sins at his feet, if we confess, he will forgive us. And so this morning we come to John chapter 15. We've been talking about this idea of fail forward, and now we've come to the point, we've come to the question, how do I actually fail forward? How do I actually learn from those sins? What do I do after I've confessed? What do I do after I realize that I don't have to let sin control me, and I realize that life is a process, and I keep pushing towards Him, and I keep striving to be closer to Him, and I confess my sins. Now what do I do? Because you see, the world is full of temptation. The world is full of sin. All the way at the beginning, we're told that sin enters the world. And so what is it that we do? Well, in John 15, Jesus gives us the answer. And he makes it plain as day what the answer is. This is what you have to do if you're going to live the way that I've called you to live. If you're going to do the things that we are called to do, there is a certain thing that we have to do. And so in uh, John chapter 15, 1 through 11, we will see the answer to that. And so we're going to start in verse 1 in John chapter 15. And this is what it says in John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Right here, Jesus goes right to an Old Testament imagery. This true vine, this idea, I am the true vine. You see, when you read through the Old Testament, you see who God's chosen vine was. It was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was chosen to be this true vine. That's what they were called to be. Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11. 
It says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Similar imagery is found in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower at it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruits. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he is delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so the nation of Israel was the vine that had been uh, foretold. This was God's chosen people. They would be the vine, but there's a problem. God's chosen people just couldn't stay away from making mistakes. Constantly in trouble, constantly being disciplined, constantly forgetting who their God is, constantly, constantly not acting like true vine. Jeremiah 2, 21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? The nation of Israel was the true vine, but yet they weren't the true vine. They kept making mistakes. No, the true vine wasn't the nation of Israel. Jesus tells us here, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. All these things that have been spoken of the vine, the nation of Israel, I am the fulfillment of that. And my father is the gardener. Jesus is the vine, the father is the gardener. So what is the job of the gardener? What does the gardener do? Well, the gardener tells, or he tells us in verse 2 exactly what the gardener does. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So what does this mean? That he will cut off every branch that bears no fruit. Well, you see, the thing is that there are these branches that maybe they're on the tree, maybe they're part of the thing, but they're not really connected to the main root. They're not connected to the vine. And so what happens? Even though they're there, they're not producing any fruit. They're not, uh, they're not doing what, they are, what their job is. They're not doing what you would expect it to do. And so what does he do? He cuts it off because it's worthless. It's not it's not growing any fruit, so what's the point of having it on there? What is he talking about here? Well, I believe what he's talking about is those who claim to, you know, hey, I go to church. Hey, I'm, I'm a good person. Hey, I, I hang out around other believers. And yet, they're never, ever truly connected to the vine. They're never truly connected to the vine, and because they're not truly connected to the vine, they bear no fruit. They don't do anything. We talked about it last week in 
1 John, those who claim to be in the light but yet choose to walk in darkness. They can claim all they want that they live in the light. They can claim all they want that they're connected. The problem is they're not really connected to the true vine. And because of that, they're cut off. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it tells us this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? There are those who will claim to be connected, but the truth is they were never really connected. They've never attempted to grow closer to God. They never actually truly gave their life to them. You know, we see this a lot of times. I grew up in the church, so I'm automatically a Christian, right? I grew up in the church, so I'm a believer. That's not how it works. And there are several who believe that sit in church on Sunday mornings, believe that they are part of the connection when they have never really connected to the true vine. And Jesus makes it clear. The gardener will cut off every branch that bears no fruits. And so what else does he do? It says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You see, a branch may be growing fruit, but there may be things about this branch that are growing, or that's growing fruit that if just he would prune it, if he would cut some stuff off of it, it will cause it to grow even more fruitful. And see, here's the thing. Being pruned is not a, a painless thing. No, to be pruned by God is not something that is easy. To be pruned by God is something that sometimes is painful, sometimes it hurts. And what does it mean to be pruned? There's a couple of different things that it could mean. You know, we are sinful, we have that sinful nature, even though we're not slave to it, but we can uh, choose to walk away from it, but we can also choose to stumble. And sometimes we do stumble, and sometimes, man, that's got to be removed Confession is hard. We talked about it last week, but sometimes we have to lay those things at Jesus' feet so that we can have those things taken off. Sometimes to be pruned means to cut things out of your life. And sometimes to be pruned means to cut out relationships. And sometimes God will uh, tell you, hey, this relationship, it's not good. Maybe you're hanging around people who are just leading you astray. Maybe you're hanging around people that every time you're around them, all you find yourself doing is sinning. Maybe that relationship needs to be pruned. Maybe sometimes it's those things that he has to prune out of your life that are keeping you from worshiping him, following him, living for him fully. Maybe it's those things that you find contentment in that I don't have to do anything else as long as I just do this. And it's these things that are keeping you from fully following him. Maybe the things that he has to prune off of you are past regrets and past mistakes that you cannot let go of. And he has to prune these things away from you. Pruning is not an easy process, but it is a necessary process process and when we are pruned by God it allows us to live for him the way we are called to live we are able to produce more fruit when we let him cut those things off of us that need to be removed and then he continues on in verse 3 he says you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you a little bit of comfort here to those who have been following him his disciples these 12 that have been beside him, although we know that while he's talking to these 12, it's really 11 who are clean. 
There's one who is not, one who is bearing no fruit, one who will be cut off. John 13, 10 through 11 tells us, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. But these other disciples, they were clean because they heard the word, and we know what will happen There will be a time of forgiveness later. And then he continues in verse 4 and 5. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing and he makes it clear here what we need to do is we need to remain in him as he remains in us so going off of verse 2 we have a choice to make are we are we going to be the ones who uh, produce no fruit who claim to have fellowship and yet we're not really connected are we the ones who want to produce good fruit and so if we want to produce good fruit what we need to do is remain in him remain in him Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This is what this idea of remain in him is, to hold firmly to him. To remain in him is to hold firmly to him, to the faith that we profess. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And so we have to remain in him if we want to produce fruit, if we want to bear fruit. We cannot do it unless we remain in him. We are called to do what he asks. We are called to follow his commands. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So what we need to do is we need to hold firm to him. We cannot bear fruit if we are not connected to the vine. Again, I'm not a gardener, but one thing I've learned watching this rose is if I cut off the rose bush, then no rose is going to bloom on that branch because once it's disconnected, it falls apart. So what I need to do is I need to keep it connected if it is going to bloom, if it is going to grow. So we must remain in him. And he says that I am the vine You are the branches. Here is where Jesus tells us, this is what I mean when I'm saying all of this. I am the vine, you are the branches. You have to remain in me. And you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to do what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We have to stay connected to him because if we don't stay connected to him, we drift away. When I cut off the weeds that are around this branch, guess what happens? They blow away. They die. They blow away. They fade away. They're no longer useful. They brown up. They die. Without him, we can do nothing. We must remain in him. And then you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. You will bear much fruit. Fruit. Notice there's a progression here. 
if you want to grow fruit, if you want to grow more fruit, if you want to grow much fruit. There's a progression here. And so if we want to grow much fruit, so what is this fruit? We're talking about this a lot. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, there's two different types of fruits. The first one, it's an action fruit. What is action fruit? Well, action fruit is Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. It is a fruit that when we worship God, when we praise God, we, it, it's a fruit that comes from our lips. If we live for him, it produces on our lips this fruit of praise. It produces a fruit of praise. And so if you are truly living for God, if you are producing fruit, it presents this action fruit, this fruit that comes as praise from your lips. So there's an action fruit, and there's an attitude fruit. What's the attitude fruit? Well, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's your character. It's the things that, are, that God possesses that we possess as people who live for Him. His character is showing through us. These are the attitude, or the attitude fruits. So in Him, we can produce much fruit. Verse 6, he says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus says, if you want to produce much fruit, you have to remain in me. So what happens if we choose not to? What happens if we choose not to remain in him? What happens if we choose to say, I don't need to remain in you. I can go and do my own thing and I'll be fine. Well, they're torn off, withered, thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, chapter, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And if we are not in him, if we are not connected to the vine, we become branches that are thrown into the fire. We are not producing fruit and we wither up, we burn out, we go and are thrown into the fire. And there are many who sit in church on Sunday mornings believing that they are fine, that they are wonderful, that things are good, and yet they're never truly connected. And guess what? Theirs is a future that is horrible. You must be connected to the vine. And so how do you do that? How do you stay connected to the vine? Well, he tells us in verses 7 through 8, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. So we know that we need to stay connected to the vine or else we are in trouble. We can do nothing apart from the vine. So what do we need to do to stay connected? Well, he gives us the first answer here and it's if you remain in me and my words remain in you, we have to be in the word. We have to be in the Word of God. We have to know the Word. We have to memorize the Word. We have to read the Word each and every day. Let me ask you a question. If you were to answer truthfully and honestly, how much time do you spend in God's Word? Does your Bible look like it's been collecting dust because it's never opened? 
Do you even know where you can find the app on your phone to read God's Word? Do you use it that much? How often are you in the Word of God? Because we wonder why we're not connected to Him when we never open the Word, when we never take a moment to memorize the Word, when we never take a moment to hide God's Word in our heart. This is what it says in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16-17 reminds us of the importance of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We can't stay connected if we're not in the Word. We can't stay connected if we're not hiding the Word in our heart. How often do you memorize God's Word? I said it a few weeks ago, but I think it's true. We can probably, if I asked you your favorite song, you could probably sing me every single word to your favorite song. So why don't we know Scripture the same way? I can't memorize, I can't memorize, I can't memorize. But we can remember our favorite lines from a movie, we can remember our, the lyrics to our favorite songs. We can, we just got to work at it. We have to be in the Word. And then he tells us the second thing you have to do. You have to be in the Word, and the second thing is, you have to go to Him in prayer. You have to go to Him in prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We have to go to him in prayer. And now here's the important thing about this verse. He says, ask and any or whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Don't take this out of context. God is not a genie. He is not a cosmic genie who if you say, hey God, give me everything that I want, he's going to be like, okay, I'll, I'll have it to you by this time today or this time tomorrow or you can expect it in two to three business days or whatever he decides to do. It, that's not how it works. God is not this cosmic genie who's going to give you whatever you want. The key is this. It's all about his will. When we pray according to the will of God, and that's the thing we so often forget, is praying according to the will of God. Because guess what? Not everything we ask may be according to the will of God. Sometimes, if we're honest, we get a little selfish and asking. We know, hey, this is probably not according to God's will, but I'm going to ask, and I don't think we can ask. He just may not answer the way we want it to be. But when we ask according to his will, Scripture tells us he hears us. First John, John would say this in First John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's the key, praying for the will of God to be done in our lives. God, let your will be done in this situation. Let your will be done in how you handle this. God, let your will be done in how you handle this illness that I'm dealing with. Or God, you, let your will be done in these prayers. God, you are the one who decides. God, you are the one who knows what is best. And so we pray according to the will of God. 
And when we do this, when we remain in his word, when we spend time in prayer, it says this brings God delight when we produce fruit. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. When we do the things that we're supposed to, when we stay connected to the vine, when we produce fruit, when we stay in the word, when we spend time praying according to the will of God, when we do these things, it allows us to produce fruit, and when we produce fruit, it brings him glory. It brings him glory, and ultimately, that should be our desire, to bring God glory. Everything we do, we should desire to bring God glory. He gets the praise. He gets the adoration. He is the one who does all the... We're just vessels for him to use. I like what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Paul realizes anything that I've done has nothing to do with me. This is all for God. It is Christ working through me. It is God getting the glory and the honor and the praise. That should be our desire to bring glory to the Father. And when we produce fruit, it brings him glory. And so we need to remain in the branches. So now what else? Verse 9 and 10, it tells us, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We are to remain in the love of Christ. God loved the Son. The Son has loved us. And now we are told, remain in my love. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, which we talked about earlier, we need to keep the commands of God when we are holding faithful. One of the things we do is follow his commands. You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We need to remain in his love. And Christ does love. Christ does love us. That is an amazing thing that he says here. Remain in my love. Think about that. Remain in the love of Jesus, our Savior. He loves us, and we can remain in that love. Ephesians 5.2, it says, Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he loved us so much that he would die for us. That's pretty great love that we can remain in. And then he tells us to keep his commands. And it's funny, he says, keep my commands just as I kept my Father's commands. Do you ever think about that? That Jesus followed the commands of the Father? We think about it often, we're to follow the commands that Christ has laid out for us and that God has laid out for us. Do you ever think about the fact that he has followed his Father's commands? John five nineteen. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Matthew 26, 39. Right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Because he followed the commands of the Father, we are told to follow his commands and remain in his love. We're to remain in his love, and his love is good, and his love is great, and his love is awesome, and we are told to remain in that love. And then in verse 11, he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We 
He's come to bring us joy. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I remember growing up as a kid, I hated when I would get in trouble for doing things and it was rightfully so. I was the one who made the mistake. If I did something that my parents told me not to, I got in trouble for it. I got in trouble for it. They, they could probably tell you examples. I would get in trouble for it. And here's the thing I've learned as I've grown, and you've probably have done the same thing. As I look back at it, when in that time period, I thought, this is horrible. You're just too strict. You're just uh, doing these things to let me not have any fun. You're doing these things to keep me uh, just locked away. But here's the thing I've learned. And it wasn't because we don't want you to have any fun. It was never, we don't want you to... We don't want you to go hang out with your friends. There's never anything like that. Everything that I was told to do was to keep me safe. It was to give me joy. There's joy in living the way you're supposed to live, following his commands. And sometimes we look at the laws of Scripture and sometimes we look at the commands of God and we think, God, you just don't want us to have any fun. God, you just don't want us to, to do anything. God, what's wrong with you? And God's saying, you know what? If you follow my commands, there's joy in that. There's joy in living for me. There's joy in doing the things that you were called to do. There is joy in, in being in my love. John chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 17, verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And remaining in him, our joy is complete. And so our series that we've been going through, it's this idea of fell forward. And so how, how do we fell forward? How do we do what we are called to do? How do we fell forward? How do we live for him after we've come out of sin? How do we live for him? Well, the answer is simple. He's told it to us over and over and over again. And the answer is this. We have to remain in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we wither and we die. Apart from him, our life has no meaning. Apart from him, our life is here for now, but God Guess what? Eventually it ends, and that's it. If we don't have Him, without Him, it's nothing. We have to remain in Him. And the problem is, is so often we try to live apart from Him. We try to live apart from Him like we have it all figured out. I've done this thing enough for a while. I've gone around this, uh, I've made this spin around the earth a few times. I know what to do. I don't need to be connected to Him all the time. And what happens when we live that way? Temptation becomes a whole lot stronger, becomes a whole lot easier to fall into when we choose not to be connected to Him. Without Him, we fall short over and over and over again. How do you fail forward? It's easy. You remain in Him. You remain in Him. At all times, you're in His Word. You're praying. You're worshiping. You are living for Him, remaining in Him, because apart from Him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And we have to remain in Him. 
We have to remain in Him. He is our, our only hope. He is our, our Savior. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And here's the thing. Life is hard. Life is hard. Sin is all over the place. Every time you turn on your TV, every time you get on social media, everywhere you look, sin is rampant. It is all over the place. And what do we do? How do we manage to avoid these? How do we live for him? How do we let sin no longer be master over us? We remain in him. And so this morning, that's what we do. We remain in him. We get in his word. We talk with him. We spend time with him. As Paul said, we strive each and every day to grow closer to him, grow more holy in how we live our lives. Remain in him. When you go to work and your job is difficult and everybody around you gossips and everybody around you talks smack and everything is just sad and depressing in your job and everything is just hard, remain in him. When you're struggling with an, with an illness, when you're struggling with something and you don't know what to do and you're falling apart and everything seems around you to be hurting, remain in him. And <laughs> whether these spots are good or bad, it's all good because we remain in Him. Whatever happens, we remain in Him. And so this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, are you connected to Him? Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the vine? Are you truly connected to him? Are you producing fruit for him? Are you bringing him glory in how you live? Are you connected to the vine? Or are you here this morning, and is it a case of, you know what, I've grown up in church my whole life, I've been in church every single Sunday, but guess what, I've never truly been connected to him. I've never been truly connected to him. I've never been connected to the vine. I've never been really living my life for him. And don't let, don't let that happen. Be connected. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never connected to the vine. But guess what? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Maybe you've not been connected, but guess what? You can be. You can connect to that vine this morning. You can give your life to him. You can give your life to him and you can be connected to him. We can find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to him, but maybe you haven't been letting him prune. Maybe you've been trying to avoid letting him take some of these things off you that you know need to be removed from your life. These things that you need to have clipped off maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to lay these things at your feet and you need to be open to God what do I need to cut out so that I can live for you so that I can produce much more fruit that I can live for you in a world that is so dark what can I what can I do what can I lay at your feet and so this morning maybe where you're sitting if you want to come up here and pray with me I'd love to pray with you what are some things that you need to give to God and let him prune from your life. Amen. We need to connect to him. We need to remain in him. We need to 
We want to look like this uh, tree here. Lavish and full, bright colors, leaves. We stay connected to him and our life produces and bears fruits. So this morning, if you're here and you have a decision to make, pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.